So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We'll be looking at Psalm chapter 119, verses 9 through 16 today. And if you forgive the uh, cough drops in my mouth, I'm not popping in candy. I'm not, I'm not uh, taking from that huge store of candy we got at the festival yesterday, which we were very happy to, to be there. And it was great to see the, the halls leading the way down the, down the procession. It was great to interact with, uh, with a lot of people down there. We have, a, we have a fun community. And it was neat to see how long that parade was. So I was talking to Catherine, and I was like, ah. It's going to last like four minutes tops, and then it just kept going and going and going, and it was it was a fun thing to be able to to be a part of. So for as long as I can remember, I have been a big fan of Star Wars. When I was a kid, my my favorite movies ever were the Star Wars movies. We'd watch them again and again and again. At birthdays and Christmas, the, the only toys I would ever ask for was Star Wars figures. And when the trailer for the, for the first prequel to Star Wars came out, I watched that thing dozens and dozens of times before it actually showed in the theaters. When I was still a kid, my, my oldest sister would, would read the, uh, these Star Wars books to me, the original uh, Books in the expanded universe, she would read through them, and as I got older, I ferociously read book after book after book that had to do with Star Wars. And because of that, I have a brain that is filled with Star Wars information. I can tell you that the Wookiees come from the planet of Kasharak. I can tell you that the droids C-3PO and R2-D2 are the only characters to appear in all nine of the main Star Wars films. That Grand Admiral Thrawn is the best Star Wars villain. That the leader of Rogue Squadron has always been Wedge Antilles. And that an Imperial, Star, uh, Imperial class Star Destroyer is 600 meters long. I have a lot of fun facts about Star Wars in my head, but it is quite useless information. And it's information that most people don't need to have in their brain. It, it can sometimes be interesting or, or entertaining, but it does absolutely nothing to change my life. Sometimes that is exactly how people view the Bible. It, it has interesting or entertaining information, but it can't change our lives. It may be for some people, but most people don't need that info in their brain. It can be fun, but it is quite useless information. It does not have any effect on your life. But as we'll see today, that viewpoint is far, far from the truth. The Bible is not just given for information, but for transformation. It is not filled with useless facts, but life-changing truth. You need the Bible's contents in your brain for it to have a massive effect on your life. 
And today we will see its transforming effect in regard to moral and spiritual purity. We will see that the scriptures are the key to living a clean and holy life before God. All true believers want to be and stay pure. And this passage tells you how to do it. So please look with me at Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Lord God, I thank you for giving us your word. And I ask that as we dive into this passage, that we would not be distracted by all the things that can pop up in our brain, but that we would stay focused and that we would be changed. We thank you that you are willing to not leave us in the dark, that you are willing to talk to us, that you're willing to give us truth that can change how we think, how we speak, and how we act. And I ask, Lord God, that this truth that we're examining today would do just that, that it would transform us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to better follow along today, there's an outline of our sermon on the back of your bulletin. Now before we walk through this passage, I want to make clear that you will not be able to grow in purity in your life, nor will you be able to effectively do any of the stuff that I'm going to talk about today unless you have first turned to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Jesus, God's eternal Son, came to earth to make a way of salvation for his people. He died to pay for the penalty for the sins of all who would turn to him, and he died so that believers could be set free, not only from the penalty from sin, but from their slavery to sin. And he rose from the dead to give us new spiritual life. And if you have humbly confessed your sin and turned to Jesus as your only Savior and Lord, then you have been eternally saved, made spiritually clean in God's sight, and can begin to grow in purity. If Jesus is not your Savior yet, then you will not be able to successfully do all the stuff I'm about to explain. But if Jesus is your Savior, it is guaranteed that you have the spiritual ability to begin to walk in purity. So if you want purity, you must first have Jesus. With that, let us dive into our text today. 
Our passage can be divided into three main sections. The question, the answer, and the application. But we're going to spend most of our time on the application section as it contains the majority of our passage here. So we start with the question, the question. The first half of Psalm 119, verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? This verse sets the tone for the entire passage. It introduces the main, top, <coughs> the main topic, the, the theme that is talked about all throughout the rest of this passage. And it has to do with being pure. As we see from verse 11, which talks about sin, the purity in this passage is talking about moral purity. It's talking about how to become and remain practically holy. To keep our way pure is to live a godly life, to be spiritually and morally clean, to avoid falling into sin, to keep oneself from wicked thoughts, words, and actions, to live rightly and good in God's sight. And the question that sets this whole passage up is, how can a young man keep his way pure? Now, I think this passage applies to more than just young men, but I think the psalmist is using young men in this question for some distinct reasons. As a generalization, young men tend to be less restrained and full of hot passion than any other group of people. Young men have the energy and the drive to accomplish great things, but they often lack a large amount of self-control, which means they can get into a lot of trouble. There's a reason why the majority of violent crime that occurs in America is <clears throat> excuse me, by young men between the ages of 17 and 30. <clears throat> so young men especially struggle with trying to keep their way pure. And the psalmist asks, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can the group of people who struggle most with purity stay holy? And of course, if we answer this for the most difficult group of people, then we will have the answer for all other groups. So finding the answer to this question is vital for men and women of all ages. So how can you and I live morally pure lives? How can we move through this world in a clean and holy manner? How can a young man keep his way pure? This world is filled with wicked garbage. Our movies, our music, our politics, our schools, our workplaces, our whole culture is soaked in sinful filth. And even worse, as believers, we are still tainted by sin, and we have all kinds of sinful temptations that occur in our own hearts. So how can we keep our way? How can we keep our lives pure? Well, the psalmist not only gives the question, but he also provides us with the solution, which brings us to our next point, the answer, the answer. In the second half of verse, excuse me, of Psalm 119, verse 9 says, by guarding it according to your word. The pathway to living a life of 
purity is in guarding your life with the word of God. Our way, our life must be protected by the scriptures. The things God has said in his holy book must be kept in order for us to remain and to grow in spiritual and moral purity. Like a warrior's shield defends against an enemy's arrows and his, his sword defeats his foes, so too does the word of God protect us from sin and help us to conquer temptation. If you truly want to become and to stay pure, you must use God's word. It is the ultimate and essential protection against sin. The truth, the logic, warnings, promises, methods, encouragements, convictions, and comforts of God's word work to prevent you from living dishonoring, spiritually dirty, and unrighteous lives. But you must actually use it. A sword and a shield are, are not helpful if you just leave them in the armory. You must carry them into battle, hold that shield up, and swipe with that sword. You must actually use them if they are to help in defeating your enemy. Now, the same is true with the word. Using it is an active endeavor. You must live it out in order to conquer and and defeat sin and have purity. You must use God's word to guard your life. Sin is deceptive. It's seductive. It's, it's dangerous. And, and you and I, we don't have the wisdom or the power in ourselves to defeat sin. So instead of following our own ideas, we must look to what God himself has said. So, how are we to keep our way pure? By guarding it according to God's word. We now have the answer. We now know what we need to do to live lives of purity. But the answer seems a little broad, doesn't it? It doesn't give us specific explanations on how to use God's word. Well, that is where the rest of the passage comes in. Verses 10 to 16 give us the application, the application. Verses 10 through 16 explain how to use the scriptures to guard our lives, how to use God's word to purify ourselves. In these next seven verses, we will see seven things we must do with God's word that keep us pure. Seven things we must do with God's word that keep us pure. Number one, devote yourself to God. Devote yourself to God. Psalm 119, verse 10 says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. In order to use God's word to keep us pure, we must first be devoted to God's word. We must be devoted first, excuse me, to the God of the word. If we care nothing for God himself, we're not going to be able to love and use his word to make us pure. Loving the God of the word will help us love the word of God. 
Which is why the psalmist expresses his heart of devotion to God by saying, with my whole heart I seek you. He is committed to pursuing God with all of who he is. His heart, meaning his, his thinking, his, his desires, his passions, his emotions, his decisions are all focused on God. All of his inner being is seeking his creator. He wants to know the Lord. He wants to have a close relationship with the Lord. And because of his devotion to God, he says in the second half of verse 10, let me not wander from your commandments. He cries out to God, humbly asking God to enable him to stay on the path of purity, to not wander away from God's commands. The psalmist recognizes his own weakness and his great need for God's aid, so he prays for God to help him in obeying the scripture. Because the psalmist is seeking God with all of his heart, he is then committed to following God's word and pleads with God to help him not go astray. If you want to use God's word to live a pure life, you must actually care about the God of the Bible. You must seek him with all of who you are. You must love God. Number two, deep store God's word. Deep store God's word. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Excuse me. I want to have your life purified by the word of God. You must store it up deep inside you. It must be so valuable to you that you are willing to stockpile it in your heart. In fact, the Hebrew word for store in this verse has to do with storing something precious. It has to do with hiding great treasure. The word of God must be valued and memorized. Not memorized just to, to check off a box or to impress the other believers around you, but memorized so that our heart, our thinking, desires, affections, emotions, and decisions are all radically affected by God's word. Memorized so that we can be spiritually and morally pure. That's why verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The purpose of storing God's word inside you is to avoid sinning against God. We are to internalize scripture to promote purity. Jesus Christ was the only perfect person to ever walk this earth. As a son of God, he lived a life of complete and total purity. He is the perfect example of how to fight temptation and to live a morally clean life. And Jesus stored up God's word in his heart. In Matthew chapter 4, when, when Jesus was tempted 
by the devil in the wilderness, Jesus' primary way to defend himself, his primary way to defeat the deceptive snares of the devil was to quote scripture from memory. He had read the scriptures. He had interpreted them and knew what they meant. He had memorized them and he knew exactly how to apply them to his life. And because he had valued and internalized God's word, he did not sin against God. Are you serious about living a life of purity? Then you must internalize God's word. If you're serious about living life of moral purity, you must internalize God's word. An unwillingness to value and memorize God's word is an unwillingness to live a pure life. Thankfully, if you're wanting to be pure, it's not as hard as you think to memorize some scripture. It just takes a little time and effort. If you spend just five minutes a day studying and memorizing just one verse, you could very easily have many verses memorized in a year. And those verses have the ability to help you avoid falling into sin and to help you live a pure life before God. But using God's word to keep pure is not something that you and I can do on our own. Which leads us to number three, depend on God to teach you. Depend on God to teach you. Psalm 119 verse 12 says, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. The psalmist, blessed are you, O Lord, is a praise of God, the blessed one who is the fountain and source of all blessing and joy, without whom no one would have happiness. The psalmist praises God's character, then says to God, teach me your statutes. He asks God to instruct him on God's law, to help him understand and apply God's word. The psalmist understands that the king who made the statutes knows their meaning the best. Just like we saw back in verse 10, the psalmist, he recognizes his weaknesses. He recognizes his limitations. He knows that God's word will remain darkened to him unless God is willing to shine the light of understanding on the scriptures. The psalmist knows that without God's grace, all his attempts at studying and applying the word of God will be completely in vain. It will be hopeless without God. So he cries out to God for help, asking God to illuminate and help him understand the scriptures. And this humble reliance on God, this dependence on God teaching him is a theme that's found all throughout Psalm 119. The end of verse 26 says, teach me your statutes. And the beginning of verse 27 says, make me understand the way of your precepts. Verse 33 says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. And verse 66 says, teach me good judgment and knowledge. While verse 68 says, teach me your statutes. In verse 108, it says, teach me your rules. While verse 124 again says, teach me your statutes. 
again and again and again. The psalmist acknowledges his need for God. And he asks God to teach him so that he would understand God's word. In order for us to make any headway in living a pure life by keeping God's word, we must acknowledge our desperate need for God. We need God to help us understand what his word means. We need to ask God to help us to apply his word to our life. We need God to teach us. So we must follow the psalmist's example and ask God to give us guidance. Ask the Lord to grant us the wisdom we need to grasp the meaning and the implications of the text of Scripture. And when God does grant us understanding, we are to proclaim that word to others. Which leads us straight into number four, declare God's word. Declare God's word. Psalm 119, verse 13 says, With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. If we have devoted ourselves to seeking God with all our hearts, have stored up his word in our hearts, and we are humbly relying on him to teach us, then out of the overflow of our hearts we will proclaim God's word to others. We will tell others about God's word, and we will not only talk about the, the popular or tame parts, but we will declare all the rules of God's mouth. We'll be willing and open to proclaim anything that God has laid down in his word. And the very word we declare to others, God will use to bring purity into our own lives. For we know that we, we learn Better when we verbalize something. When you have to prepare to explain something to others, you come to understand it with greater depth. And when you proclaim God's truth to others, your own conscience convicts you and pushes you to keep God's word as well. And all of us here are called to teach God's word. Not everyone is going to be an official preacher or Sunday school teacher, but the Bible says that all believers are to be involved in proclaiming the gospel, God's word to the lost, as well as involved in teaching one another the word of God. So we're to follow in the psalmist's footsteps and declare God's word to others, which will benefit them, will cause them to learn more, and will push us to purity. And proclaiming God's word will be a joy when we ourselves are rejoicing in it. Which brings us to number five, delight in God's word. Delight in God's word. Psalm 119 verse 14 says, In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. <coughs> The psalmist says that God's testimonies, God's word, brings him great delight. In fact, he delights in them as much as in all riches. All the wealth of the entire world will bring no more pleasure than what is found in the word of God. God's word gives great joy to his people. 
The Bible is not some boring, dry, depressing, esoteric collection of useless information. Instead, this is the words of the creator of heaven and earth. It reveals the the almighty Lord of and King of the universe. It shows forth his his holiness, his, his justice, his beauty, his awesome power, and his love. It also also describes God's amazing plan of salvation, that even while we were yet sinners, rebels against our God, that the Creator in His great love sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to earth, and that Jesus died as a perfect sacrifice for our sins, dying to pay the penalty for the sins of all his people and rising from the dead, conquering death and offering that eternal salvation and transformation to all who are willing to turn to him. Not only that, this book also describes how the Holy Spirit is sent to transform believers and be their comforter and their guide throughout life. God's word gives believers great promises. It continually gives encouragement and hope. It tells us how to live. It gives us purpose and peace, and it helps keep us pure. This is a book that should bring us great joy. And by delighting in God's word, we will be led to obey it and thus live a life of purity. This joy-filled book is worth thinking deeply about. Which leads us to number six, deliberate over God's word. Deliberate over God's word. Psalm 119 verse 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Now, the word uh, meditate, the word meditate can put some odd pictures in our minds. We tend to think of some Buddhist monk sitting on top of a mountain just going, which makes us view meditation as something that only weird people or only really radical people do. But to meditate just means to think deeply about something, it means to think deeply. About something. The Hebrew word for meditate literally means to mutter to yourself. It has the idea of saying something to yourself over and over and over and over again so that you come to a better understanding of it. So, meditation has to do with concentrating your mind on something, to deliberate in your head, continually focusing your thoughts for the purpose of comprehending. It's kind of like how a cow eats food. A cow spends a long, long time chewing. A cow will chew up some grass, swallow it, let it be somewhat digested in their stomach, and then regurgitate it back up to their mouth, chew it again, and then swallow it again. In fact, a a cow usually spends around eight hours every day chewing. And that is how a believer should ponder God's word. They are to think about it and think about it and think about it and think about it and think about it again 
They are to think deeply about what God's word means, to ponder the amazing truth about who God is and what he has done. They are to focus intently on figuring out how to apply God's word to their everyday life, to carefully consider how God's word should affect their thinking, their, their speech, and their actions. And they ought to think about how God's word should lead them to confess sin, to praise God, to thank God, and to ask God for help. They ought to meditate on God's precepts in order to live pure lives. We get the same sort of meaning in the second part of verse 15, which says, And fix my eyes on your ways. We are to look intently at what God has said and done in his word, paying close attention to him. And this meditation and paying close attention to God's word is something that you can start right here today. Go home and carefully think through our sermon. Ponder how it applies to your life. Or reread Psalm 33 that Dan read a little bit earlier and consider what it means. Or begin to memorize our, our monthly memory verse. Or you kids work on memorizing the verses you're, you're working on, on on Wednesday night so that you can quote it to yourself anytime, which will better allow you to carefully think through its meaning and its application and to use it in your life. Look intently at God's word and meditate on it so that you can become pure. And after you have begun to devote yourself to God, to deep store God's word, to humbly depend on God, to declare God's word to others, to delight in God's word and to carefully deliberate over it, then fully commit yourself to it. Which brings us to number seven, determine to follow God's word. Determine to follow God's word. Psalm 119 verse 16 says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now the things in this verse have basically already been talked about in verse 11 and verse 14. But verse 16 adds the future tense word, will, to show that these are things that the psalmist is committing to do in the future. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. He is determined to continue to follow God's word. He has delighted in God's word in the past. And now he is determined to delight in God's word in the future. He has stored up God's word in the past, and now he is determined to not forget it in the future. He is pledging to continue to enjoy and remember God's word. He is making a commitment to rejoice in it and not leave it behind out of his mind. He is determined to follow God's word in order to keep his way pure. So, how can you live a pure life? You must guard it according to God's word. And how can you best guard your life with God's word? You must devote yourself to it, to God, excuse me. 
Store his word deep inside your heart. Humbly depend on God to teach you. Declare God's word to others. Joyfully delight in God's word. Carefully deliberate over it and determine to follow it. A believer who does that will be pure. God's word is not just for information, but for transformation. Lord God, we thank you for that truth. We thank you that your words are not just dead words on a page, but they are living and active and that you use them to change the lives of your people. I ask, Lord God, that we would not neglect this wonderful book that you have given us, but that we would spend time in it, that we would have confidence that this book can change our lives, that we would have confidence that we can grow in purity, that you are willing to work in us, and that you have promised to work in us when we look to your word. We thank you so much for your love for us, God. We thank you for Christ who has saved us and made us clean and who has given us the Holy Spirit to continue to work in us. In your son's name we pray, amen.